I had increasingly felt like there was this disconnect between what my head was telling me, which was take the next job and do even bigger roles and people telling me you're being groomed for the C-suite at the firm and what my heart started to tell me, which was I don't know if I really feel fulfilled by this work, that this is what I'm called to do. Welcome to Dear Human Resources, a show about HR topics and current trends. Our guests are practitioners and researchers who share their in-depth knowledge and experience with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources. I'm your host, Marilyn Germain. And on the show today, Jenny Blumenthal talks about how women can break free from the hustle culture, how they can reinvent their careers and reimagine the way they work. She's a professional speaker, author, CEO and founder of Corporate Rehab, which is a professional coaching consultancy that has helped hundreds of executives ditch workplace hustle culture and find their path toward a greater sense of purpose. Her new book is titled Corporate Rehab, Ditch the Hustle Culture and Thrive Again. Welcome, Jenny. Great. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. So for over 20 years, you worked as an executive in corporate America, which you left in 2020. So I want to know, you know, what was the breaking point for you? Yes. So for me, I feel like the decision that I made was uh, to leave was a very a sudden one where I decided on a Thursday and I left on a Tuesday, but it really was probably something that had been building for some time. And the way that played out was, I was an executive and a partner in a large global consulting firm. I uh, had been rising through the ranks and climbing the career ladder, very driven person overall. And I've got two kids and a husband with his own career. And so as I continued to climb the ladder and made partner and wound up leading a business unit of $300 million and 250 people, uh, wound up being the only woman on that business unit's leadership team. And I had achieved an awful lot. But by 2019, right before the pandemic happened, that also meant that I was on planes three times a week. I was trying to you know, hit the ever-increasing revenue goals that we were trying to meet and lead a team of people that were also trying to do that. So it was a lot of hustle, which really helped me in a lot of my career. And whether that was hustle to climb the corporate ladder or hustle to get the kids out of the door in the morning with their shoes on. It was really a character trait of mine that that really allowed me to achieve an awful lot of the goals that I had set out to do. But I had increasingly felt like there was this disconnect between what my head was telling me, which was take the next job and do even bigger roles and people telling me you're being groomed for the C-suite at the firm and what my heart started to tell me, which was, I don't know if I really feel fulfilled by this work, um, if I feel that this is what I'm called to do. I feel that there's this really big pull to service I felt my whole life, but I've never really been able to put it succinctly into a goal sheet or say, this is how I'm going to be able to be paid to serve other people. It's just this pull I felt. And so over time, I think I had learned to silence those little voices because they were very pesky and unhelpful when it came to climbing the ladder, wondering whether this was the right ladder or what waited for me at the top. But by the time the pandemic happened, and planes were grounded, and I was in my house with my children and my husband and myself, um, and the world got really quiet, those voices got louder, asking me if this was really what I was supposed to be doing. And 
And we had a chance to look at some of the relationships that I had probably neglected in that hustle, certainly with my husband, a little bit with my children, but absolutely also with myself. So the breaking point to me was, you know, building up over time, but really came to a crescendo when our next door neighbor unexpectedly passed away. And I took a pandemic walk with my daughter, as we all did in those days and passed his car outside and the front seat was still strewn with his papers and a half drunk water bottle. And I thought, boy, if I'm gone tomorrow, am I going to be really happy with the way I spent my time? Or is there something different that I need to do? And that and a couple of other pieces really just made me see that I I really, I wasn't actually as happy as I thought I was. The success that I had been chasing wasn't actually fulfilling. Maybe it had been at some point, but it was no longer feeling purposeful. And that was really the breaking point for me. Yeah, the COVID-19 pandemic has certainly been a catalyst to many women in that regard. So in your book, you share the stories of 300 women who decided to leave behind what you call the hustle culture. So that's quite a large data set. What would you say all the women you interviewed have in common? Yeah, so I decided to write the book really as an outgrowth of once I left, I you know, I had kids that were still doing school at the kitchen table for a couple of months. And I thought, you know, I can't really take on another executive job until they're settled. And so in the meantime, I would do some work on myself and understand what was in the mindset or my own patterns that kept me stuck in a situation that maybe wasn't as good for me at some point or had had lost as much meaning. Uh, What was it about the environment? And really, you know, trying to parse that that together. And, And as I started to dig into the neuroscience of leadership and human resources and therapy and mindsets and trauma and all of these topics, just to kind of understand the tapestry that led to, you know, some of these mindsets and patterns, I really almost approached it as a consulting project, which is what I'm trained to do. And out of that, I realized that this hustle culture was something that really started to come up as I talked to more women, as I did some of the research, as I looked at some of the future of work trends, And what it sounded like to me, as I started to interview women and decided to put this book together, they all had similar stories and totally different industries, different scenarios. Some were working, some were stay at home across academia, across companies, across law, professional services, medicine, but this constant feel of the hustle culture playing in the background, which wasn't exactly, you know, a soundbite that came out of the interview. It really showed up as you know, I feel like I need to run faster. I put things on my task list just so that I can cross them off and feel like I've done enough. I uh, don't know what to do if I have an extra 30 minutes in the day because I never actually relax until I've earned the right to relax after I finish my work. I don't know who I am without this job. I don't know what I would do if I couldn't, you know, have a meaningful you know, amount of financial contribution to my family because that's how I show my worth. And so really what all of that came down to was this hustle culture that's running in the background of our minds. And whether that's an executive that says, I need to get on the next plane to make this next deal so I can get to the next level so I can get that VP or SVP position, or whether it's the mom that says, I have to go to all the book clubs, or I have to get my kids into all of the right camps the hustle culture is really driving a lot of that. And and really what that means is that every 
Activity has to be productive or Facebook worthy. Everything has to be monetized, not necessarily in money, but in value, that this has to be a valuable thing that we're doing. And I, and I believe that that actually keeps us really distracted from some of the most human needs that we have. So that was the thing I would say that was very common around all of the women. They were all ambitious in some level, whether that was leading a church group or whether that was you know, leading the C-suite, but all of them had said at some point that they had had some sort of insight or awakening that said, maybe there's a different way. Maybe there's a different way to lead myself and my job. Maybe there is something that I'm more meant to do in my life. And so all of them were searching for a little bit of that answer. So you mentioned that some of them had a medical career or, uh, you know, in the C-suite, et cetera. What types of careers overall those 300 women pursued and how did you find them? 300 is quite large. (laughs) Yes. So when I started to put the book together, and as I mentioned, that really came out of trying to just organize my insights and my research. And as I spoke to more people that said, oh, you seem like you were on this upward trajectory, what happened and wanted to understand my thought process, I would start sharing with them an article or a piece of research or something. And it became to this point where people were constantly calling and saying, I think I'm actually struggling a little bit with some of the topics that, that you, you know, you're sharing and can you coach me on the side? And so that turned into a, a more formal, you know, sharing information and trying to organize it in a way that was, you know, people were able to take in because saying, Hey, would you mind coaching me and me saying, Hey, here's a list of 10 podcasts and five books and all these things you need to go research is a little overwhelming. So I started to break it down into a framework of the way I went through my own healing process from the hustle culture and and sharing that with others. And as I started to post about that, because I started to, you know, share, I used writing as a, as a means to process a lot of my thinking. And I started to put it out on LinkedIn and Instagram and others. And the responses that I got were, were overwhelming. I had women making comments, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was the only one that felt that way. I thought I was the only one. Interestingly enough, it was mostly men who would send me a private message and say, hey, I can't comment on your post because my boss will see it, but I completely agree with what you're saying. Please keep writing. And so when I started to do that, I realized, boy, I've got something here. This wasn't just me. There's a lot of people that feel this way, that feel caught up in this hustle, but are really organizing their lives or their careers around this achievement. And how can I help them see some of the insights I've now learned around how to balance both? And so I said, I'm, I'm interested in speaking with anyone who wants to share their story. And the floodgates just opened. I had so many women reaching out. And really, that was an interesting moment because I almost felt like part career coach, part therapist, as they were telling me stories, they said, you know, I've never told another soul. And here I am a stranger. And they're telling me things that happened either from a toxic workplace situation or from a burnout perspective. And so that's really how that started and how that, how the the sample size got so large, almost by accident, I had intended to just write the book about the rehab process and what you could do to shift your mindsets and patterns, um, but wound up interspersing the stories of these 300 women as, as an addition to my own. And to your point on where they came from, a lot of professional services, a lot of medicine, any career where there's high ambition and driven, but there's also high degrees of burnout was really where I saw the most of my responders And then the second category I would just call it was, it's across industries, but there's a whole 
segment of toxic workplace scenarios that people would would share. And that was that ranged from solopreneurs or one, you know somebody working with one other person to uh, Fortune 500 companies and the stories that they would tell. And so it really cuts across industries. And I think it really comes down to, you know, some of the mindsets and behaviors that are running in the background that, you know, tempt us into thinking we need to constantly hustle for our worth outside of ourselves, which is what makes, I think, the hustle culture so dangerous. Now, you help women reinvent their career. What personal characteristics are needed to do that? Yeah, so the first one is really intellectual curiosity. And I say that because you have to have you know, a willingness to set aside the thought processes or the work that you've put in, even if it's hypothetically, and imagine what things could be like. I think the second is humility. We get to a point, and, and the number of the women that I work with are, are very senior executives. And so they've gotten to a point where their heads, their smarts, their drive, their ambition has gotten them awfully far in life. And often, as we know, as you get to the top of the C-suite, it becomes a bit of an echo chamber and everyone around you has already self-selected into a system or organization that agrees that whatever values and characteristics that are there are the ones that are are important. And so it takes a little bit of, of reframing and humility to set aside whatever title or career kudos you've gotten to this point and really look at yourself as a human. And I think those are the first two pieces. And then the third one is really to really get honest with yourself about your own value and where you ascribe your self-worth from. Because so often when we're trying, especially again, especially at the senior level, when we're trying to think of who am I if I am not this vice president, or who am I if I'm not an accountant, or who am I if I'm not a colonel in the army? If we over-identify with that label of whatever our career has been to date, then it gets really hard to separate your identity from the role that you're playing at that point in life. And by the way, this can be just as true for a young parent. I've, I've worked with a lot of moms who, you know, get very focused on who they are as a mother and lose touch with other parts of themselves as well. So it's, it's really gets down to the core of identity. So that really is the third piece is this willingness to really, really examine where you get your self-worth from and ensure that you're keeping it very focused on you and not necessarily the role you happen to be playing in your life at that point. Jenny, you mentioned that you quit your job and you have two children and a husband. And so you probably had a, a support system, right? So but for women who are the breadwinners and the sole breadwinner in their family, how can they afford to make such a shift from having a stable income and a predictable job to not knowing if they will be able to continue to provide for their family. So with this one, I think there's a, again, a head and a heart answer to this one. I think the head answer is be very practical about what exactly you do need to cover. And then also practical about the way that you're going to manage your career in the marketplace. And I think about this as kind of top down and bottom up to arrive at a, a range or a number that's realistic. And I say that because it's very easy to look at what you've been paid if you're a high-ranking executive and say, well, I'm not going to settle for less than that. My next job has to be 
you know, has to actually pay me what I'm worth and lose touch with the fact that if it is a high paying job, there's chances are it's demanding something of you that you're going to have to give up, whether that's time, whether that's travel, whether that's mental peace and really challenge yourself to say, okay, this is what the market will pay, but it also comes with the stipulation of 60 hours or whatever it might be. And then go from the bottom up and say, what do I really need to cover my finances plus a cushion for anything I might want to be able to do with the family and really look at the range in between those as your sweet spot. And and you can work with a financial advisor to do that. The reason I think that's so important, so many of the women that I've worked with and, and those who have you know, earn six to seven figures or even feeling this way, really have lost touch with what they truly need to cover. And they're so caught up in this concept of financial security is so important that they've long passed the the place where they are now are able to cover the rent and the mortgage, but it's it's still not enough because inside they've got some sort of perspective of a mindset that financial security is going to keep them safe. And so I think that piece is really important to really be honest with yourself about what do you truly need to cover so that you're not running on an old story that says, if I get more money, then I know my family will be okay. Um, And you're just running yourself into the ground. And again, that's more of an executive perspective, but it has been true for 100% of my private coaching clients that are actually out earning what they ever expected to earn or what they thought they could do, but now they're stuck in the system where they're only going after those same jobs and they're burning out in the process based on the time demand. So I think that's the one piece to get really real about. And then the second piece of practicality and what we do in, in my private coaching is really build, and I talk a little bit about this in the in the book, is build a roadmap that's based against the amount of time it's going to take to make that transition. And I've got you know, women that are trying to make a transition out of a job that's either toxic or burning them out over six months. I've got some that are going over 36 months and saying, I'm not ready to do anything fast, but I know I need to start shifting. And I think that's important because it, especially for those of us who, you know, like a plan or planners or are uh, type A's or recovering type A's, it gives you a lot of, you know, security to know that there's a plan and a path for you to get to something new instead of just saying, I want to leave this job, but I don't know what else I would do. I don't even know where to start. And it really gives you a little bit more um, of a plan to execute without making you feel like you have to leave tomorrow. So that's really the, the head aspect of it, of getting really practical around, you know, what do you need to cover top down, bottom up, and then making a plan, including, you know, talking to recruiters and the like, which not all women do, Um, And I think that's important to do. I think the other piece, though, of the question, um, you know, is really in in terms of the heart, what, you know, you ask, can they afford to leave? I think all of the women I spoke with at some point, the situation got so dire that they couldn't afford to stay Um, emotionally, mentally. The tax on their health and wellness was intense. Um, actually I noticed something about halfway through the interviews, I'd gotten to like my 125th interview and I was looking back through the data and said, well, that's really interesting. Someone each time I've talked to someone, when they started to tell me about the time that they decided to leave, it was always accompanied by a physical ailment. And so I started asking proactively in the rest of the interviews, 
Did you notice any physical symptoms when you were feeling this stress or this burnout or dealing with this toxic boss? And it was shocking how many women started saying, well, that's weird. I've never thought of that question. But now that you mention it, my hair did start falling out around that time. Or, you know, I I was rushed to the ER with what we thought was a heart attack and and then got diagnosed with with workplace stress instead. And one woman I spoke with, um, which I thought was so interesting, is she said she did realize something was wrong. When she started throwing up every morning before her stressful job, but only on the weekdays. And when I asked her how long it would last, for, it lasted for her. She said it went on for about 18 months. Oh. And so what I found is that women have high, high tolerance for pain and all kinds of toxicity and they'll muscle through it. And a lot of times that's, you know, maybe what we were taught as kids. Maybe that's, we feel we don't have a choice. But the point here is, you know, especially if you're the breadwinner, you have to take care of you. And that doesn't mean a bubble bath. Bubble baths are great, but you have to make sure that that you're, you know, watching out for your mental and emotional health right alongside your ability to produce. And I would say the same as for men as well. I think the women I interviewed were mostly, you know, stretching from late 30s to 50s. And most of them had come to this point at some point in their 40s and 50s. Some of the men I spoke with anecdotally, most of them come to the same point right after they retire where they say, oh boy, now my health is really, you know, dropped off or I've noticed that my relationships are strained and and things don't feel as, as meaningful anymore. Um, But I think it's, it's just, you get to a point where you have to say, what will it take for me to afford the lifestyle I need to, to afford? And therefore what are the jobs that are open, but what will it, take if I don't do this? And is that going to create either such a physical toll or a mental toll or an emotional and spiritual toll that I can't afford not to do it? Good point about the cost, you know, the cost, the financial cost, but also the mental health cost. And many women don't necessarily think about that and and men as well. So what advice do you have for our listeners who are considering leaving their current job but who don't know what else they could be doing and something fulfilling, something, something self-fulfilling and pay the bills at the same time. Yeah. We get into this a little bit in the book. I think the first thing I would say is I always start with why. Um, and there's a lot of great perspectives on this. Simon Sinek does great work around, you know, what's your why, but really starting with like your purpose. And, and this is an interesting one, especially for women, I think we really beat ourselves up on this. Like we feel like if I don't have this passionate for saving seals or if I'm not like all about, you know, um, climate change and that's my thing, then something's wrong with me and I'll just keep my head down and hustling until, you know, they have an epiphany and figure out what my passion and my purpose is. I personally don't believe that it's that um, it's that obvious. I think when we're hustling so long, it's really hard to get still and to think about what are the things that that we're here on this earth to do. And the reason I think it's really important to start with that is because about half of my clients that come to me saying, I really need to change this job, actually wind up staying. Um, They've just changed the relationship with their job. And so some of this is really thinking about mindsets and patterns and behaviors that you can control um, that might give you more of that piece you're looking for. Um, and starting with why, why are you on this earth? Like, what are your gifts? What are the things that really light you up? 
um, before you get into how and what, I think is really crucial because we tend, you know, women take on so much of society building, community building, much of it unpaid work. And so we really do have to think about the logistics of, well, I'd love to save those seals, but who would pick up the kids from daycare? That's a real, you know, scenario. And so we think about, oh, why am I here? I really love helping this or doing this, you know, thing I'm really passionate about with art, but how would that pay the bills or what could I do and and would I have to move and all of the logistics involved? And I would just encourage you to sit with why, just sit with that question for a little bit and figure out what are the things that really light you up and bring you energy before you get too caught up in what that role is. Um, And then once you've got some sense and there's all kinds of exercises you can do for that. um, But once you've got a sense of what are the things that really make you feel purposeful, um, then you can start to dream about the different ways that that could be done. And do you want that to be in your career Or do you want to perhaps save seals on the weekend as a volunteer position? Do you want to join a board that focuses on saving seals and shift your relationship with your job to, you know, have to take up less importance in terms of having purpose? Um, And that's that's a totally legitimate decision. Um, The key is you making that decision as opposed to it being this default where you're shaming yourself for. Um, you know, having something that's going to pay the bills, but also feels purposeful. And you feel like you're caught between those two decision points, as opposed to looking at why am I here? What's my purpose? And what are the things that make me feel purposeful? And then where do I want to get that fulfilled? Really, what's the job of my job? And how am I going to use the job to fulfill that or not? And that usually those two questions help you free up a little bit from feeling like, I either have to do this thing that's super purposeful, but it's not going to be able to, you know, provide for my family, or I guess I should just stay in this job that's really hurting me or that's not um, healthy and I don't have a choice. There's a whole range in between there that it's easy to skip over. And so some of this is just pausing and asking yourself these really tough questions. It's interesting that many of the women you interviewed ended up staying in the same job. Perhaps it's about redefining their relationship to their job, right? So instead of staying at work until 6 or 7 p.m., putting some boundaries, right? Is that what you found? Right. Yeah, definitely. Boundaries is one of the biggest ones. And time boundaries for women in particular are one of the first things to go. Um, and, it, you know, in some ways we come by this honestly that either – We were raised by parents where we saw this happening. Obviously, there's a generational divide where you see the stereotypical mom running around and doing everything while the dad was enjoying the martini or watching TV or what have you. And as more of those women that entered the workplace, you're trying to be both, right? You're the executive running around and doing work all day. And instead of coming home and getting a martini, then your second shift starts where you're running a household or taking care of kids. And so I think it's really easy to really hustle so much in that and that you lose a little bit of touch with yourself and understand what are the things that that really light you up. And so much of the work um, that I do is really about redefining what you want and what role your job takes in that so that it doesn't get so wrapped up in the identity or you're just hustling between these multiple roles that, that women play in our society that you're just answering everybody else's agenda as opposed to setting more of your own. And the women that would stay 
Often um, they would change the definition of their roles. So whether that was time boundaries, as you mentioned, or it would be shifting roles within the company. So much of the excitement that I have around this book of sharing the 300 stories is I think there's so much power in hearing what someone else did to reframe their relationship or reclaim their time. Because often we just don't know that something else exists. And, you know, on, on, uh, in, a, in a number of scenarios that the bosses that you might be working for, whether they be male or female, they're not taking time to think, how can I make this one flexible arrangement work for this person or these five if they're managing a huge group? So some of the onus is on the employee to come back and say, here's what I'm thinking. And again, start with that. Why? Here's the part of my job that really lights me up. The parts that really seem to be, you know, uh, difficult for me to balance or are causing a lot of time boundary issues are these parts. How can we work together to figure out the right solution and really work on that together? And I think that'll be getting that and figuring that out at scale is going to be one of the biggest influences to the future of the work of work in the next decade. Those are great tips, Jenny. Thank you for your insights on how women can ditch the hustle culture, reinvent their careers and reimagine the way they work, which is what you just talked about. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Marilyn. This was fun. Support for this show comes from Western Carolina University, a campus of the University of North Carolina system with the technical assistance of Kelly Menace.